the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken Cruzado, and this week I have the privilege of filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, and Paula are away for the week, and a much-deserved time away because they are celebrating their 50th anniversary. I mentioned it yesterday, I'll say it again, Pastor Ron, being quite the romantic Planned this surprise trip, and I uh, heard from Paula today, and she loves the location so much. She even sent me pictures, and it looked like a beautiful place. I'm glad you guys are enjoying your time. God bless you guys. And he wanted me, Pastor Ron wanted me to let you guys know, the radio listening audience, that he misses you guys Uh, He will be back on Monday here live on the radio station uh, that he will keep you guys in prayer and that you, if you remember him and Paula, you can pray for them also. Uh, Today, like I said, is the Tuesday edition. That means there isn't anything uh, going on here tonight at Calvary Chapel. So let me give you the phone numbers. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585, the toll-free number, 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We have an email address, questions at calvarysa.com, questions, that's plural, at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app, if you want to submit questions that way, you can dial into the show using the KSLR app. There's a easy way to dial in. There's a banner up at top. Dial now, and if you're in your car, it's much easier. You'll get connected to the radio station, and you can ask your question on the air. Let me re- say real quick that the, the reason why we have this show, I forgot to say that. Sorry. Well, the reason why we have this show is to take your Bible questions help you understand what the Word says, help you to put it into practice, uh, because that's the way the Word of God will have an impact in your life. And if there's anything about uh, walking with Jesus, anything about uh, doctrinal questions, or anything about the the character and the nature of God, well, that's why we're here, to help you understand more about Jesus so you can fall deeper in love with Him. So I gave you the numbers. You can call in if you have questions. We do have some submitted here. Oh, let me say something real quick, because uh, last night, since I have the unique privilege of talking about the men's study I do on Monday nights here, uh, there are a couple things last night that I really wanted to highlight. I won't go into detail, but we are in Romans chapter 12, and the men last night, we were going through the verses 9 through 13, and it was specific about love. And when we 
have a men's study. One of the unique things and the neat things we get to do is spend a little bit more time on things that pertain to being a man of God. And love is definitely one of those things we had, uh, we wanted to take some time to elaborate and talk about. And I love this, that verse 9 starts off by saying, love must be sincere. The word there is without hypocrisy. I think that really resonated with the men last night because it describes the love that Jesus has for us and the way we love people. It's got to be a reflection of that same type of love. To be without hypocrisy means the way we love, the way we act in front of people it's got to be the same way we act when there's nobody around, without hypocrisy. It's one of the things that really uh, stood out, and we talked about the practical application of that. The, next, the same verse, the next sentence says, Hate what is evil and cling to what is good if you really love someone. You'll hate the sin in their lives. Not the person, because people are never the enemy, but you'll hate the sin in their lives and you'll cling to what you know is good. That's the word of God. You give people Jesus. There's so much there that, that really stood out to us. And I've been dwelling on that. Last night, it was such a blessing. If you're interested, we have those recorded in the church app. Okay. Well, oh, I do want to mention something because uh, Pastor Ron has been talking about this on the radio. I want to remind our radio audience, October 22nd, please put that on your calendar. That's our Joy of Jesus event. This is our premier outreach event that occurs the, on the last Saturday of every year, uh, I'm sorry, of every October. This year, it's on the second to the last Saturday, so that's October 22nd. And we're going to be downtown in San Antonio at Travis Park. And we have tons of ministry going on. You're welcome to join us from 11 to 3 o'clock. And this, again, is our premier outreach event where we watch the body come together using their gifts, serving side by side, ministering to whoever comes by. And... We've got one purpose. That's not to bring the attention to our church, but it's to bring the attention to Jesus. We want people to get saved. We want people to see how good Jesus is. And so we spend practically all year saving up resources with clothes, um, food, makeup, and all these things. We collect bikes and repair bikes throughout the year. Um, shoes and uh, makeovers. There's going to be Multimedical is going to have a station there where they'll provide some basic medical care, uh, haircuts, and all, all kinds of things, all to put into practice the, the gifts that God has given us to show people how much Jesus loves them. What a neat thing to watch. Again, October 22nd, Downtown San Antonio at Travis Park from 11 to 3 o'clock. You're welcome to join us. Let's jump right into our questions. Our first one is from Jake. Jake says, in Ezekiel chapter 40, can you please explain which temple Ezekiel sees being built? Is it the temple that was built then or is it the temple that will be built during the end-time events. Jake, the answer to your question is that it's the temple in the future. Ezekiel is looking forward into the millennial reign. So this would be into the future. Seeing, he's seeing a new temple that will be built after the time of tribulation. 
This is this is during the thousand, the little literal thousand year period, where we read in Revelation chapter twenty, Jesus rules with an iron scepter and he reigns in power. So, so Jake, the answer to your question is is there in chapter forty of Ezekiel. It's actually the the angel giving Ezekiel sort of a tour of what the new temple is going to look like. That's why. He goes through such explicit detail. It's a beautiful thing. So that the answer to your question is, Jake, it'll be in the future during the millennial reign. Next question is from Mark. Mark asks, does pornography qualify as adultery as an allowable reason for divorce? Um, so, Mark, short answer to your question is no. It's not grounds for divorce, but pornography is definitely sexual immorality. This is sin. And this sin, though may not be biblical grounds for divorce, it will definitely ruin your marriage. Now, I want to spend a second on this because we we just finished our men's retreat. And this past weekend, what we saw were men dealing with issues, and this was one of them. And one of the things that has really crippled the church is the sin of sexual morality and pornography specifically, but not only. And the reason why it's so dangerous, Mark, is because the devil wants to convince us that this isn't a sin that harms anyone, but that's simply false. It's completely false. What goes on when this type of sexual morality takes place within a marriage is so damaging that that the pain is not just within your marriage, but it's, it also translates into everything else around you. It ruins the family. It damages the kids. It causes a lot of pain. I want you to think about this, Mark. You know, and Pastor Ron mentions this also, the way he describes this. The damage that it causes, it, it, it ruins... Any type of intimacy you can have with your wife. Because when she knows that this is something that you're dealing with, and it's not just the husband, um, it, it goes both ways. We have wives that deal with this issue too, but by and large, this is usually an issue with the husband. And can you imagine? How the enemy attacks your wife's thinking. All kinds of discouraging thoughts. She's never going to live up to whatever images are in your mind. And the devil is all over that. Even if nothing's said, there's a lot of pain. First Thessalonians chapter 5, one of the studies that Pastor Ron just finished on a Friday night. Paul very clearly tells us through the Holy Spirit that this is the will of God, that we abstain from sexual immorality. So, Mark, uh, we have seen as pastors in numerous counseling sessions what this pernicious sin does, and it, it hurts and it scars so deeply and it opens up the thinking of your wife into discouraging thoughts from the enemy. These are things, this is the reason why, that, that these are things that, that must, must stay away, we must stay away from. Now, if this is something that you have struggled with in the past, 
you've repented, then you're forgiven. And that's gone as far as the East is from the West. And when the enemy tries to remind you or tempt you into sin again, remember Titus chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The grace of God has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no to unrighteousness. You've got to say no to sin, any sin, but particularly these secret sins that the enemy wants to use to drive a wedge between you and your wife. These are the kind of things, Mark, that we sit in painful counseling sessions, watching tears and heartbreak that come from pornography. So don't do it. One of the other things, too, that um, we saw at our men's retreat this past weekend was when you deal with your sin, you've got to deal with it forcefully. When Jesus was talking about gouging out your right eye if it causes you to sin, he was not referring to physical dismemberment or physical mutilation. It's not your eye that's the problem. It's your heart. And what he's saying is that we need to deal so forcefully with our sin, we don't give our flesh the opportunity to go back into that bondage again. Oftentimes, guys that struggle with pornography, they revert to all kinds of things and techniques and, and, and apps to protect themselves. And, and, and that's fine. But what I say, what I tell them is, look, if your heart isn't right, then those things aren't going to stop you from sinning. We will find a way to sin. So instead of setting up barriers and uh, making it harder for us to sin, deal first with the root cause, which is your heart. And then when your heart is right with the Lord, then you make changes. You make changes. Whatever those changes are, Mark, you just do them. If it means that you can't have a phone, then you shouldn't have a phone. If it means that, you know, you've got to place your your desktop computer in a different location. I don't even know if people use desktop computers at home, but you understand what I mean. You've got to do whatever it takes to deal forcefully with your sin. And so, Mark, I hope that helps, yes. Uh, it doesn't qualify as grounds for divorce, but pornography is definitely sexual morality. That will ruin your marriage, so just get rid of it. Let's move on to the next question. This one's from Chris. What are your thoughts on God's sovereignty? Okay. I hear a lot of Christians say, even though, uh, there's a quote here, even though everything going on in the world seems really bad, God is still on the throne and God is sovereign, end quote. What does that even mean? Chris, good question. So God's sovereignty is one of these things that, unfortunately, I think we make way too complicated, and it's not. The technical, technically, the, the definition of God's sovereignty is to mean that God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's not limited by time or, or space. But it's not that complicated because what we try to do is mentally reconcile his sovereignty and our free will. But here's what we need to remember. God's sovereignty is, is not, does not mean that he is causative. In other words, he doesn't force things to happen. 
He doesn't force people to do his will. Instead, God gives us free will. And we use this free will to choose whether or not we want to obey him or disobey him. Does that mean we can do something that will take God by surprise? No, because God operates outside of time and space. He already knows what's going to happen, but just because he knows what's going to happen doesn't mean he forces it to happen. And God's sovereignty is best demonstrated when you think of it this way. He can take the hardest heart, and I think of my own, he can take the hardest heart in all of the things that I've done and still use them for his glory. He can take the hardest heart and soften it and use it for his glory. That's what the sovereignty of God means. It is, it's not that complicated. And so when we, you know, I, I have a conversation with, with my friends who are of a different theological persuasion, Reformed theology, and they make this, sometimes make this a, a, such a complicated issue. But there's a balance in Scripture. God is sovereign, but our free will does not take away from his sovereignty. He gives us free will to choose. We get to choose whether or not we want to obey him or disobey him. So, Chris, thank you for your question. Okay, let's see. We don't have any calls yet. Let me give you the phone number. We are inside five minutes. And so if you want to make your phone call, maybe you can do so at the second half. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. The toll-free number, 877-630-5757. Don't forget the email. That's questions at calvarysa.com. Here's another anonymous question from our men's retreat. When Jehu killed Joram and Ahaziah, how, do, how long did Judah remain without a king? Ooh, this is a good one. This is a good question. So uh, this is in 2 Kings chapter 9. And the short answer to your question, Anonymous, is that the time period between uh, th that Judah didn't have a king after Ahaziah was killed was seven years. Now, how do we know this? Well, technically, the answer is seven years. But when Jehu killed Ahaziah and Joram, now, there are two King Ahaziahs in the Bible, Sometimes this can be confusing. There's a King Isaiah who was the king of Israel, and there's King Isaiah who's the king of Judah. The king of Israel, the King Ahaziah of Israel, was the uncle of the King Ahaziah of Judah. And so when Joram was injured, he went to the city of Jezreel, and King Isaiah of Judah went to go meet him there. Now, God had spoken through the prophet Elisha to anoint Jehu and to give Jehu a specific task, which was to kill Joram and Ahaziah. So when he did that, right away, Athaliah, this would be the mother, the evil mother of King Ahaziah, she usurped the throne of the king of the kingdom. And when she did that, she made it a point to kill all of the members of the royal house, except for one. This would be Joash. She couldn't get to him. And so Joash would be raised up to lead a revolution 
Then seven years later, Athaliah would be killed. And that's when Joash would become king. So that's why it's seven years. Interesting here because when we look at the story of, of Jehu and God raising him up, if you read it out of context, it sounds like Jehu was raised up to do such a brutal thing, and why would God do this? Well, Ahaziah was an evil king, and Athaliah, who usurped the throne, was his evil mother. And and they are she was the daughter of Jezebel who introduced idolatry into Judah. So this is why God had to deal so forcefully with their sin. And that's why he would raise up Joash seven years later after King Ahaziah was killed. There's a lot of practical application there, and basically it's this. Your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Well, you can hear the music, my friends. That means we are finished with the first half of the Word Standard for Life for the Tuesday edition. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand on for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, who, if you're just tuning in, he is out this week because he and Paula are celebrating their 50th anniversary. And so he, uh, 50th wedding anniversary, that's right. He he, uh, scheduled a surprise trip for her to take her away, and uh, they are enjoying themselves. They send their regards, and if you can... Remember to keep them in prayer. They will and have been and will continue praying for you, the radio listening audience. He misses you already, but he's having a good time with Paula. He will be back here on the air Monday. So in the meantime, I get to fill in. That means this Thursday is the date day edition. I get to have my dear wife, May, with me on the air. That's always a fun time for us. Okay, so today is Tuesday, and nothing else going on here at Calvary Chapel, so we'll go right into our questions. Let me give you the phone number real quick, 210-340-9585, that's the toll-free number, 877 877- Six three zero five seven five seven. We've got an email address if you want to submit questions that way, and it's questions at calvarysa.com. Okay, our next question is from Arlene. Pastor Ken, can you help me unpack Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verses sixteen through eighteen? Okay, well, let me read this quickly. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven sixteen says, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Okay, Arlene, so what an interesting passage. Remember, you always want to take a step back and and look at the context. So remember this. Ecclesiastes is poetic. And and so there we're not going to derive foundational doctrine from it, but we can understand the heart of God. 
and Solomon, the author here, is talking about wisdom in chapter 7. So when he gets to chapter, I'm sorry, uh, verse 15, it's the, the section that begins uh, some, something specific. And, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But I want to read verse 15, one verse before the passage you referred to. So this is what verse 15 says. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Then he goes into verse 16 where he says, do not be overrighteous, neither be overwise. So this helps us understand what the context is. Within wisdom, Solomon is referring to something the Jews would already know, which is what they would call the law of God's retribution. And all that means is that they believed that God would give them what they deserve. And if it was righteousness, if they were righteous people, then God would reward them with riches. And if they were wicked, God would give them punishment. And and here Paul, I'm sorry, Solomon is is using this principle to help them or to specifically warn them against living in extremes. So when he says here in verse 16, do not be over-righteous, we would think, well, how can you be over-righteous? That sounds odd. But in light of the, the law of retribution, Solomon is dealing with a righteousness here that is legalistic. So the righteousness here is referring to a legalistic righteousness. And he's saying, do not be legalistically righteous. And at the same time, don't be uh, extreme the other way where you're over-wicked. This is Solomon's warning against living in extremes. So Arlene, I hope that makes sense. Interesting passage here because it ends here in verse 18 with whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. And I think that sums it up nicely for us. But there's a practical principle here that I think is very important. Our human nature, at least let me speak about mine, <laughs> it, is, it tends to lean to the extremes. It, that's just the way that my flesh thinks. And it's, it's terrible. <laughs> if, if there is a dosage of medicine, I think is going to help me, well, my natural inclination is to think, well, why don't I double that? And so that'll help me feel better faster. And it's a terrible way of thinking. It's a terrible way of thinking. Extremes are bad, and we are to avoid them. When you become extreme in terms of the word, or following the law of the letter, we call that legalism. Or you lose the spirit of the law. But then you can go the other extreme and be spiritually lazy and trample on the grace of God. Both, again, are bad. They're extremes. What the Bible teaches us is balance. Balance. I think that's the takeaway from this passage, Arlene. Wisdom is to have balance. And that balance isn't, you know, the work-life balance where you're balancing your hours and your time at home, uh, though that may be a residual thing. But balance, what Solomon's talking about here is, is balance in your relationship with God. Don't be lazy. We talked about that last night uh, in, from Romans chapter 12. Don't be lazy, but work hard. Don't work hard so hard that you're spending 100 hours at work and you're never home. 
But don't go the other extreme and be lazy and never go to work. That's just the way our flesh works, and it's not a good thing. I love this about God's Word. It teaches us balance, and it's a healthy thing because our flesh always wants to go to extremes. Thank you, Arlene, for your question. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one. We don't have anyone calling in, so it's early in the second half of the show. We've still got time to take your calls if you want to do so. In the meantime, we'll keep going with our questions here. This next one is an anonymous one from the men's retreat. And it's referring to Pastor Ron. So I'll go ahead and read it. And if Pastor Ron wants to add to it, I'm sure he'll elaborate uh, a little bit more when he gets back. Question is this. During last Friday's Bible study, you said something very, this is all, all caps, powerful regarding followers of Christ, not to quench the Spirit, in quotes. You stated the only power on this earth is to defeat, oh, I'm sorry, the only power on this earth to defeat God is us. Could you expand on this? Well, this is a great question. And yes, this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 19, Paul writes, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Or the King James or the New King James says, Do not quench the Spirit of God. And I like this because, yes, the Spirit of God is constantly speaking to us. But we have the choice whether we want to obey Him or not. When we disobey the Spirit of God, we quench or put out or think of a flame. We, we put out that flame and prevent God from doing the work he wants to do in our lives. So that's why when Pastor Ron said that the only power on this earth that can defeat God, and it's not a defeat as in battle, but uh, we have the free will to choose whether or not we want to obey God or not, because God will not force us to obey him. I hope that makes sense, Anonymous, and thank you for your question. Let's go on to our phone lines. We have a question. Uh, see, uh, Mark, on line one from San Antonio, you are on the air. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, Mark, I can okay. hear you. If you want, okay. Mark, it might help if you turn your radio down, down in the background. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in the car parked on the side of the road, so I'm not driving right now. <laughs> okay. Okay, there we go. I got it turned down almost silent. Okay. The radio there. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, I have a brother who uh, puts way too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit almost separates him from the rest of the Godhead. Uh, constantly talks about hearing the voice of the Spirit, which is good. I just heard about that in your last uh, announcement. The Spirit's always speaking to us. But it's almost like he, he puts the Holy Spirit above the Word of God. Uh, he just gives credence to the Holy Spirit, being almost like a separate God. It's all mm. about the Holy Spirit, he keeps saying. Uh, is our verses which have the Holy Spirit given credence to the Word of God, or the Holy Spirit given credence to the Son or to the Father? As I know the Trinity does, glorify Absolutely. each other within the Godhead. I need some help here on how to okay. uh, help my brother. Yeah, about uh, Absolutely. You know, ahead, Mark, now. I can help. And thank you for your question. Yes, yeah, so immediately I'm thinking of John chapter 14. John chapter 16, where the ministry of the Holy Spirit is outlined for us. And there we see what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to, to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, where it pertains to your friend here is that we also learn in John chapter 14 and also in 16 that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus, not to himself. Yes. And, and, uh, and I would say, at a practical level, you want to look at First John chapter 4, 
First John chapter four, at the very beginning, the Apostle John exhorts us who are believers to not believe every spirit, but to test the spirits, whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, whenever anyone places or an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, it's an unhealthy balance. So we have to remember here, the, the, the triune Godhead that the Bible describes is not a tug of war. There's no competition between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They are three in one, working together. And whenever we have an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, what, we, what it allows for is an emphasis in things that are sort of focusing on the supernatural, focusing on the, the, the miracles, and not testing the spirit, but giving way to, eventually giving way to feelings, thoughts, and, and even our flesh, especially when uh, some churches have such an unhealthy overemphasis in uh, the giftings. Now, let me be clear. When we become born again, the Spirit definitely gives us. We do have spiritual gifts, at least one. And these gifts, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, are for the purpose of edifying the body. But when there's an unhealthy emphasis on the gifts, we start to go into the emotional and the, the esoteric um, you know, where people hear from God and they, they, they have visions that are contradictory or extra-biblical, contradictory to the Bible or even outside of the scope of the Bible. And that's where we get into trouble, Mark. So for your friend, I, I would sit down with him and, and talk about John chapter 14 and 16 and, and focus in on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And specifically, notice how the Holy Spirit doesn't focus on himself. He focuses on pointing people to Jesus. And then again, First uh, John, John chapter 4, you want to make sure that you're testing the spirits. This is an unhealthy balance, Mark, and you would be doing your friend uh, not just a favor, but you would be acting in love. Now, if he insists, then what I would say is uh, there is the biblical references, and if he still wants to overemphasize the works of the Holy Spirit, then, then uh, I would just walk away from the conversation and not engage. It's not worth it. But that's the best thing you can do. Point him to the scriptures. Make sure he tests the spirit. And when the spirit of God speaks to us, it'll always confirm what has already been written in the word. Does that help, Mark? Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for your call, Mark. Uh, this is, uh, on a side note, let me say something about this because Mark didn't ask it, but again, this is something that I deal with, me and Pastor Ron and and our counseling sessions deal with a lot. A lot of people come from bad church backgrounds where they're used to equating the overemphasis of the giftings of the Spirit uh, and associating that with some type of spiritual maturity. For example, somebody will say, you know, uh, I had a vision from God or or even come up to somebody and say, I have a word from God for you. And these are red flags. They're red flags. Now, can God use people to speak to us? Of course he can. But oftentimes what we find is people uh, place so much emphasis on the Holy Spirit that they can't distinguish or discern the difference between the spirits, what's of their flesh or what may be of God. And they don't use the word of God as a reference. They just go by 
feelings and emotions. Sometimes they'll even say, well, you don't want to limit the Spirit of God. Uh, The Spirit of God will always operate within the confines of his word. Anything outside of that, well, it's likely not from the Lord. So, Mark, thank you for your question. That's an important one. Let's go back to our questions. The next one is from Angelo in San Antonio. My ex-wife and I divorced years ago. I was then saved shortly after the divorce, but my ex-wife is still an unbeliever, so we are not equally yoked in setting boundaries and rules for our kids. How do I balance holding my kids accountable when they do whatever they desire when they are with their mom? (sighs) I took a breath here, Angelo, because this is a difficult one. It's really hard. Whenever kids, and Angelo, you don't uh, provide details on the ages of your kids, but obviously they're old enough to know that what they see with you, Angelo, and what they see when they're with their mom are completely different environments. And this is hard because kids have flesh too. And when kids see an opportunity to go with one parent and parents in different homes to go with one parent who let them do whatever they want, it's going to be really easy to see that when they go with the other parent, with you, who has rules, that you're not the fun parent. The fun parent is the one that lets them do whatever they want. And this is a, a trap that the enemy wants to use to take their attention off of what is right. Now, your question, Angelo, how do I balance according to my kids? uh, How do I balance holding my kids accountable when they do whatever they desire when they're with their mom? I like the way you worded this because it sounds like you understand you you can't control what your ex-wife does and what she doesn't do. And this is a completely separate household that you're not a part of. And when kids are there with her, they're being affected. And then that change affected from that environment translates into changed behavior when they come back with you. What you can do, Angelo, is point them to Jesus every single time. And specifically, Angelo, you want to remind them that no matter what goes on outside of your home, whether it's with your ex-wife or somewhere else in school, whenever they're home, in your home, you remind them this is Jesus's home. And Jesus's home has Jesus's rules. And you're going to honor the Lord in your home. And That's the most loving thing you can do. Now, what we have found is that when kids are in an environment where they're allowed to do whatever they want, initially it'll seem like the fun place to be and that's what they want. But then they'll eventually realize that what you have in your house is what they want. And you make sure, Angelo, that they see Jesus in you. Remember, Titus chapter 2, one of my favorite passages that I like to reference, when, when Paul the Apostle is writing to Pastor Titus there on the island of Crete, and Titus is dealing with the people there in his church, They're, he's reminding them in the second chapter that, that the slaves, he's using slaves as an example, they are to be subject to their masters, now, this is not an endorsement for slavery, but what he's saying is those who are employees should be the best employee to their boss. And then he goes on to say that they will make the teaching of God attractive. By being obedient to the word of God, they make the teaching of God attractive. And that's what you have to do, Angelo. 
You cannot control what goes on outside of your home, but you can control what goes on inside of your home, and you make sure when they see you, they're going to see that you're obedient to the Word of God. And God will use that to attract your kids to himself. Without you even trying, Angelo, it's a beautiful thing. Too often we try to force our kids to follow Jesus, but what's more effective, Angelo, is when you teach them and you raise them up in the ways of the Lord, but you also live a life that is proof that God will do in them what he has done in you if they allow him. And the obedience to the word of God is what makes uh, the teaching of God attractive. So, Angelo, I hope that helps. There is uh, such practical application here that uh, it's frustrating. It really is because you want your kids to see Jesus and you have a limited time with them. And all you can do is impact them for the time that you do have them. And again, this is why things are so difficult. But for the time you have them, you make sure that you show them Jesus is fun. You show them that Jesus is loving. You show them that you place God's word as the authority, not your rules, but Jesus' rules in your home. And as you do that with consistency, Angelo, what you'll learn is that God will whisper into their ears and say, Psst, hey, do you see what I'm doing in your dad? I want to do the same thing in you. And that's how you reach them. Well, you can hear the music, guys. That means we are done with the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back 4 o'clock tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.